Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Ship Talking. I'm Brandon, and as always, I am joined by Robbie. Hey, everyone. Hope you're doing well. We are so happy to be back this week. Brandon, how are you doing? I am doing great, although I do have to say my fingers are sore from hitting the rewind button on my controller. (laughs) It actually took me two and a half hours to watch the first run-through of this week's episode of Discovery because I had to keep rewinding and gawking at what I saw. Okay, so before I say anything else, we're going to go into slight spoiler territory for the newest episode of Discovery that came out because there's just no way we can talk about what happened last week. So I'm going to do a three-second pause. Everybody will be able to mute roughly one to two minutes and then you can resume the rest of the episode and we will not be in spoiler territory. Okay, so with that being said, Brandon, you are absolutely right. I have to point out that the last week's episode of Discovery, I think, was a game changer for not only Star Trek, the entire franchise, but I think for science fiction in general. Holy cow. I mean, that scene that you were referencing was incredible. Blew my mind away from the rainforest that was totally captured within a force field to seeing the Voyager J to the new technology Wow. To me, that was an event like no other. I'm still just psyched about and I can't wait to rewatch the episode for the fourth time. Yeah, you know, it is definitely my favorite episode of Discovery so far. And I think it's actually made it up to one of my favorite Star Trek episodes of all time. It was that good. And yeah, seeing the J, I definitely did a fangirl scream. And also it was very, very touching to see the USS Nog, which has been confirmed as the Eisenberg class. And what a fitting tribute for Aaron Eisenberg. Absolutely. And I think that from a bigger picture perspective, that episode of Discovery, which ties into kind of what we're trying to do on Ship Talking, I think that all of us, when we watch Star Trek, it makes us dream. It makes us have hope about the future. Yeah, I agree. It was absolutely incredible. I loved it. I loved every moment. It really made me feel like Star Trek. Um, Well, I also have some other news that I'm excited to share with our listeners, and that is Robbie and I have a new crewmate. George Davies, who hails from England, has joined the show as our audio engineer. Not only is he a huge Star Trek fan, but he studied sound design and has a ton of experience working on and editing all different types of mediums, including feature and short films. We are really looking forward to having George join the team because his work has been well-renowned across the entire Alpha Quadrant. So glad to have him aboard, and he is definitely going to be taking our audio production to the next level. Well, on this week's show, we've got none other than the pilot of all pilots, the in-universe creator of the Delta Flyer, the ex-convict we all thought was going to be Janeway's boy toy, space lizard Zaddy himself, Robert Duncan McNeil, also known as Tom Paris. And you know, Brandon, I actually hear that he goes by Robbie, so this will be very fun for when we do our little chat. I know, I've been thinking about how I was going to manage two Robbies on this week's episode. But I'm really excited for this one. Robbie is a great ship talker. We'll be meeting Robbie in 10 Ford soon for a chat that's around 12 minutes. And of course, we'll be putting the full chat, which came into around 42 minutes, up onto our Patreon. Before we take the turbo lift to go meet him in 10 Forward, we'll be reviewing your submission for last week's community queue and announcing the new one. And then after the chat with Robbie, we're going to report back on the training plans that you've been sending in for this week's All Hands on Deck drill. 
We'll also announce our special guests, yes, plural, for the next episode before we bid you all kapla. <laughs> it's going to be a fun show, so let's jump right into things and move into this week's Community Q segment. For this week's Community Q, we asked all of you to share what your go-to warp command line or catchphrase would be. And I have to say, I'm a little sad and shocked that none of you went with make it slippy, okay? <laughs> all right, you know what though, Brandon? I think we can just call that a Robbieism, and we'll just call it a day. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's leave that one with you. Now, you all sent in a great variety of different catchphrases and command lines, but hit it and punch it were the most submitted. I'm going to read the entire list of what we got because some of them are pretty fun. So we had take us away, execute, initiate, let's rock and roll, let's get dangerous, get us out of here, let her rip, chop chop, shall we see what's out there, and someone bring me a cup of tea, helm set a course, work bitch, make it go, ludicrous speed, warp it good, activate the super ultra extreme velocity drive, FTL now, make it happen, let's rock and roll, go for warp, let's go, and simply just the term go okay so i i kind of like how where someone just says go that's just like like the laziest way to like say it it's just like <laughs> just go well but it's pretty powerful right like the way you say it it could be like go or it could be go that's true of course also with a lot of these the snarky part of me would want to like have a response so if you said hit it i of course my first response would be and quit it <laughs> or, i don't inflection know inflection matters inflection matters that is true <laughs> i think of all of these the ones that actually i would probably want to use is let's rock and roll it'd be kind of fun but also for simplicity's sake go to warp i mean you're a starship captain so definitely clear concise and simple orders would also make sense now i'm surprised no one said engage maybe because they know that those words could only come out of picard's mouth and of course janeway used it as well but hit it and punch it being the top two means there was definitely some that have seen jj trek as well as captain pike on discovery you know what? I always say that imitation is the greatest form of flattery, and we have to flatter our favorite captains, right? Absolutely. Now, before we announce next week's Community Q, I want to preface that we are getting into a little bit of the Warp Corp breach controversy status here, <laughs> because we want to know which bridge station you think is the least impactful for ship operations. In other words, which member of the bridge crew could get jettisoned up the nearest airlock? So for example, could it be Deanna Troy in her cat suit? Or could it be Neelix in his chef's hat? <laughs> I don't know. You tell us. We're really looking forward to hearing from you. Absolutely. I can't wait to see what submissions come in. And you can send those via email, website form submission, or even via Twitter. Okay. I think we've made everyone wait long enough. And if we keep Robert Duncan McNeil any longer in 10 forward on his own, I can already see Alice like slithering her <laughs> little connecting cables trying to get him. So... Brandon, we better go rescue him. <laughs> You're right. Let's get on over there. When I got the role of Tom Paris, my father at the time had worked in computer services and one of his clients was Gulfstream Airplanes. And so he said, hey, maybe I'll talk to my Gulfstream clients and see if you could ever jump on one of their jets oh. and learn about piloting. Like, would you be interested? And I said, sure. So within weeks, I got a call from my dad. He said, hey, talk to these guys down in Long Beach. You can go on a delivery flight. 
they would spend about six or eight hours up in the air doing touch and goes and all kinds of test things to train the pilots that were going to be flying these new planes and deliver them to the client. So I got to go out for a day on a delivery flight. Oh, wow. So we took off out of Long Beach. Um, I got to sit in the jump seat and watch <laughs> the pilots take off. At one point, they were working some of the computer controls in the back, the entertainment system and things like that. And uh, I was alone with the pilot and he said, hey, sit over here in the co-pilot seat. Why don't you take over? Wow. We'll take it off autopilot. So I got to fly the plane. And in fact, we were doing a very wide circle up above Oregon at the time. And it was a glass cockpit. So he said, just keep the plane on the road, basically. Mm -hmm. It looked like a road. Mm -hmm. You know, they had the flight path in the computer. Sure. My entire body is tensed up. I'm freaking out that I'm flying this giant, you know, $50 million jet at the time, I think it was, or more. And I'm keeping it on the road. And he starts laughing. He goes, come on, relax, have a little fun. And he reaches over and he pushes my hands in. So it forces the plane to sort of nosedive very quickly. Wow. The nose went down and then he said, get it back on the road. And I pulled it back and got it back on. And just as I'm getting back on the road, the door flies open and it's the delivery people. And they're like... <laughs> what the hell is going on? And they see me with my hands on the thing. And they're like, get out of that chair. And everybody thought I was screwing around. And the pilot was just laughing. He thought it was hilarious that, oh. that they had, they came in and thought I was the one doing that when he knew he had pushed the controls. Well, one of the things we've seen, especially with the evolution of Star Trek and as the shows progress, is we see that the role of the pilot they're building out, they're giving more nuance to the expertise. Yes. You know, we saw that in Deep Space Nine. We saw that in Discovery, especially the current season. There's a lot more emphasis on Detmer, who's the main pilot. Uh, also in Picard, oh, yeah. we see the importance of a good pilot and what they can do and the importance of that show. And one of the things we see is this idea of the interface for the ships actually as the shows progress and newer shows the actual interface changes yeah. from next gen voyager and ds9 where it was like a flat two-dimensional panel and now we're getting into more robust uh, interfaces that have like three-dimensional like on the la serena for picard mm -hmm. we even see other aspects where technology and the pilot is integrated you know there was a drone park near my house. I would often take the dog for a walk through the park. I'd walk by the drone operators and all of them had on virtual reality goggles. Oh, right, yes. Trolls yeah. in their hands. And they're piloting and I would watch these drones fly around. They were racing. They would often be racing each other on the course of the drone park there. And the things that they were able to make these drones do, the speed at which they were able to calculate the turn and the dip and the racing each other. Right. I couldn't even keep up with it with my naked eyes just watching from the side of the park. But yet these guys have these virtual reality goggles on and are in the drone flight experience. They are part of it. So I think that we're already there in a lot of ways with the uh, integration of pilots and flight, uh, you know, you're describing on Picard. Yeah, I thought that that ship, the, the La Serena, Serena. yeah, mm -hmm. um, I thought that ship was a fascinating sort of contradiction in... Um, some very high-tech elements and then some very, very low-tech elements in terms of its kind of physical structure. It was just a big barge. Right. You know, it was very, uh, was, you know, it's just a big rectangular kind of room. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, yeah, very, very different than some of the curved lines and the, the kind of, uh, you know, going back to the original series mm -hmm. and that sort of mid-century modern 
influence of the original enterprise with smooth curved lines i don't know where that design came from probably a lot from mid-century modern aesthetic of the 50s and 60s the the kind of googie culture of southern california in some ways like yeah. all of that was sort of mashed up in the original enterprise and then you look at the la serena and picard and it's it's just a big square box with cool technology but right. almost coming from a more um, brutalist aesthetic in terms of like its design style you know very uh rough and industrial and mm. uh, utilitarian not pretty i think that was cool to see because you know a lot of truck fans who have seen these ships up on screen expect these big elegant beauties yeah. but there are many other ships out there that serve different purposes and we get to see kind of that craft with the la serena but it also probably presents a new challenge for the actors who are playing those pilots as well yes. because instead of just tapping you know on a flat panel they actually you know their hands are more visible and maybe some of that is actually done after the fact and they're putting those displays depending on where they tapped there was no training whatsoever there was zero rules there was no guidance ever i can't remember ever getting a direction from a director who said oh push the buttons differently it just you were sort of left to your own devices there okay and the panel in front of me there was one playback video screen so a tv monitor was not flat panels at the time they were still real tvs right okay. i think we just started getting into some of the flat panel screens on enterprise in that ship maybe but it was it was tube television still on our show wow yeah it was mostly buttons in front of me the backlit displays were just buttons to push there were a couple of kind of slider looking graphics all right and i would often use that for sort of an analog you know riding the engines of the bow or port or stern or whatever i would sure. try to somehow in my mind make sense that that was guiding the power and direction that the engines was were, were working right but otherwise it was mostly buttons and a screen to look at that sometimes would have playback that was specific to the scene but most often it didn't most often it was just sort of generic part of our library playback okay we were left to our own devices there was not a requirement for it to be specific really yeah now you're right on on picard i think uh the piloting because it's virtual and three-dimensional and so it gets much more complicated because the the actions that the actor needs to to take need to be very specific my guess is they probably put in all those graphics after the fact right yeah after the actor did these movements but you needed to make sure that the actor was doing movements that you could create a graphic for sure I can't imagine there wasn't some discussion of, hey, when you get to this moment, drag something over here. And when you get to this moment, push something hard over here. Or right. <laughs> I would almost guarantee there had to have been a lot more conversation than we ever. I, I can guarantee there was more because we had zero. Yeah. Like there was none. So safe to say infinitely more hand choreography in most recent Trek than Voyager days. Absolutely. <laughs> One of the biggest things at Voyager that you were responsible for that you did was you actually were the first pilot on Star Trek to land Voyager. Land um, any ship. Land any ship on a, on a planet. Yeah, it was a huge moment. I don't know that I did much differently than when I would be piloting in a battle sequence or any other. I'd look at the story. I'd look at the dramatic moments of, is this going well? Is this not going well? Mm -hmm. What are the challenges? If they are naming them in the script, then 
to kind of deal with that in terms of how I'm pressing these buttons or how fast my motions need to be or things like that. But I, I usually would just turn back to the script and, uh, and, and to me, the story and the, and the dramatic values that were happening moment to moment were the things that would sort of drive how I piloted that ship or what I did in terms of my fake button pushing. <laughs> it, was, it was just, would always come back to like, what's the dramatic value here? You know, you did a lot of button mashing, but I think one of my favorite scenes of you, and you could just see yourself light up when you got to talk about it was during Extreme Risk. And, you know, like you're sitting around that table with everyone talking about, you know, going down and getting that probe. And you're just like, well, guys, I have the solution. I've been working <laughs> on it. And then, you know, you pull out the plans for the Delta Flyer. Right. Yeah, that was very, it was a great turning point for my character. I mean, I feel like uh, Tom Paris. From a character point of view, Tom Paris spent, you know, the first year or year and a half kind of in this very two dimensional, you know, he's kind of he's got a chip on his shoulder. He likes the ladies. He's a womanizer. He's a bit of a misogynist. He's he, he was just offensive in a lot of ways for the first year, year and a half. Mm -hmm. So I loved as his character started developing, we started learning more about kind of what made him tick. That he started to soften and started to become a real team player in a lot of ways you know bringing his personality and his personal passions to the delta flyer design or so many things that he started becoming a really important and critical part of the team of voyager as opposed to sort of the the lone wolf kind of jerk that he often could be and uh in those early episodes so uh certainly had a talent he did manage to uh stick some of his own influence of course into the delta flyer with those retro knobs yes exactly uh, you know so he's like i, I still got to get my way for <laughs> exactly. some things you know exactly the delta flyer was a lot of fun for me as an actor to kind of have that ship designed around a character it was very much designed around the tom paris personality and mm -hmm. his passions and hobbies and who he was and I thought that was very cool. Well, Robbie, we definitely want to let you get back to the holodeck so you can kind of keep working on your Captain Proton, uh, <laughs> you, you know, the next scene. We know how much that is important. You know, Bride of Chaotic, she's always up to no good. Yes, she is. You know, you need to go fight that good fight. <laughs> but before you head over there, we have five rapid fire questions for you. Yes. So I'll read the question. And we'd like to know just the very first answer that comes to mind. Sound good? Okay. Ready. Okay. Favorite ship? Delta Flyer. Favorite series? Uh, Next Gen is the first one that comes to mind. Um, This might get a little controversial, but favorite captain? Ooh. Wow. <laughs> I'm going to go with Janeway. I'm going to go with Janeway. Now, if you could choose of any of the three fields, which would you be? Command, science, or engineering? Definitely command. Hands down. And lastly, do you think Paris ever thought again about his lizard children and all that child support he probably owes? <laughs> yes. I am stunned that they just left these. Because having just reviewed that episode on the Delta Flyers podcast yesterday, mm -hmm. I realized that Chakotay was the one that decided to leave them. Just leave the lizard babies. Yeah. But then when they brought Janeway and Tom back on the ship, the doctor said, well, I was able to reverse engineer their DNA and bring them back from the lizard form mm -hmm. to their original form. Well, why couldn't he have done that with the lizard babies? Oh. Why couldn't he have re-engineered their DNA to back to, yep. so we could have had our children instead of being, <laughs> you know, instead of being derelict parents, Janeway and I, and leaving our children on some planet just to fend for their lizard self, they could have reverse engineered 
I don't know. I found it strange that we just leave these babies on a planet. So, yes, I have thought about that often. Well, Robbie, they've got to be somewhere out there. So hopefully uh, the loop can be closed on this plot. <laughs> exactly. Or, you know what? We could always have a rescue mission. Admiral Paris can lead a Ooh, rescue mission back like to, the, you know, to get them. I think we're going to have to do this for an all-hands-on-deck drill for the podcast. And we'll let you know the results. Awesome. Speaking of all-hands-on-deck, we're going to move into that segment next. Yeah. But, Robbie, thank you again for joining us thanks guys we'll get you back to the holodeck now so you can continue working on that program okay. and robbie and i are going to move into this week's all hands on deck segment for this week's drill we visited the shipyards and ran a scenario with all of you We said, as part of the peace treaty, the Dominion agreed to give proprietary technology to the Federation to use in refitting their ships. We gave three ship classes, the Nova, Defiant, and Intrepid class. And we also gave three pieces of technology, phase Polaron cannons, the Breen energy dissipator, and Dominion transporters. From those, we asked you to let us know which piece of technology you'd install on which ship. Now, we had a lot of variations submitted across the board, but there were some very clear consistencies amongst the community. The first, that the Defiant class should receive the Phase Polaron cannons. The second, that the Intrepid class should receive the Dominion transporters. And for the Nova, there was actually mixed results for receiving all three, but the Breen energy dissipator was just slightly ahead of the rest. So I think I'd have to say I agree that the Defiant would have the Phase Polaron cannons because it would make sense with its class and with kind of what the Defiant is created for. I have to say, though, I disagree with the Nova having the Breen energy dissipator just because that is more of a wartime aggressive armament. And I don't really think that that would make sense for the Nova. What do you think? I think it probably just came down to a Well, I wanted the cannons for the Defiant and the transporters for the Intrepid. So I've got to give the Nova the dissipator because other Comet submissions actually included both the Intrepid and the Defiant receiving the dissipator. So I do have to agree with you there. I am 100% in agreement, though, that defiant class should receive the phase polaron cannons we knew the defiant class had cannons installed so it just makes sense for that to be in there as well yeah i could actually see the intrepid class having both the dominion transporters or the energy dissipator it would definitely be within the scope of the design i just think that because the nova was a science class and its primary focus was sensor arrays scanning i could see the transporters also being much more useful for the nova class because for example what if they're going to a planet that has difficulties with being in an orbit and especially what we learned from dr mcdonald what actually goes into a ship being in orbit of a planet those long-range transporters could be very useful for like a, a charting mission yeah absolutely and we actually saw submissions for every single combination so everyone wanted to see something that said the least submitted combo was actually the intrepid receiving the cannons that makes sense right absolutely it was definitely cool to see everyone's thoughts on that so if you want to participate in the weekly drills that we run we announce them on our twitter towards the end of each week so do keep an eye out well i think that's it for this week but we wanted to let you know that there will not be an episode released next week on wednesday the 25th of november as we're going to take that week off for thanksgiving Brandon may be in Ireland, but I'm here in the state, and I'm going to need time to prep for my impending turkey coma. (laughs) Now, that said, we'll be back the following week with a new episode, and we are so excited to announce that we'll be joined by two legendary Trek guests, Mike McMahon 
and Sean Taranjo. That's right. Mike is the creator and showrunner of Star Trek Lower Decks, and Sean is the original designer of the USS Titan, which officially became canon during its on-screen premiere in the finale last month. This is actually going to be the first time the two gents are meeting, so it should be a lot of fun. I am so excited. Yeah, me too. I actually can't wait to chat with both of them. Brandon, do you think there's a way that I'll probably be able to get Ransom's autograph? (laughs) Uh, We can ask. Okay, for sure. Don't forget, hailing frequencies are always open. Head to shiptalkingpod.com to transmit a message. And while you're there, check out our awesome merch. We've actually received and shared photos from the community wearing it out and about, and we'd love to share more. Also, make sure to click on the link to our Patreon at the top of the page and view the special benefits we're providing to our patrons, including expanded chats with all of our special guests and even the chance to meet them. You can also send us an email to hello at shiptalkingpod.com. We want all your feedback and comments, in addition to entries for the community queue. Also, we're on Twitter at shiptalkingpod. We love engaging engaging with the community there and that's where you can participate in each week's all hands on deck drill and of course the best way to support us is to tell your trekkie and trekker friends about the show they can find us on any and all the podcast platforms or just send them to our website and they can get the direct links from there until next time those of you in the u.s have a very happy thanksgiving and to everyone else stay safe and well we'll catch you the week after next kapla everyone have a wonderful week live long and prosper bye bye